You've got this, gonna rock this Ain't nobody gonna stop you from living the life that you choose You're confident, you're fearless Don't question your spirit You're the only one who's gotta walk in your shoes You've got the tools, you're not alone You've always been your baby's home Bring them into the world in your own Bring them into the world in your Hey there, welcome back to episode number eight of the No Fear Home Birth Podcast. Last week, you heard Ashley L. Winning's first two birth stories, those that led her to pursue a free birth with her third child. And today, you'll get to hear her unassisted free birth home birth story. In this episode, we talk about the mental preparation for free birth, postpartum hemorrhage, undisturbed birth, and so much more. I'm your host, Megan R. Cooper, and before we get into Ashley's free birth story, I'm going to answer a listener question about preparing for a home birth after cesarean. Now, without any further ado, let's get into this week's question. It's from Mariah, who writes, what are your top tips on how to achieve a VBAC home birth? My first birth was... My first birth was in the hospital and ended in an unnecessary C-section. For our second birth, we are doing a home birth with a team of midwives. So thanks for that question, Mariah. And before I answer, I'll just give my standard disclaimer that these answers and this podcast in general are for informational and educational purposes only, aren't a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice, and don't constitute a provider, patient, or coach-client relationship. Also, this is just my take as one home birth professional, and I hope you'll seek out other perspectives and consult your own intuition as well. First of all, congratulations on your pregnancy, Mariah, and congratulations on choosing a home birth after having your first child via C-section. As all of you know who are listening, I myself had a C-section with my first and a home birth with my second. And so this topic, this question is very near and dear to my heart. I could probably talk about this on and on forever and ever, (laughs) give a million tips. But here's what I want to start with. The first choice that you've made to have your baby at home with a midwife instead of in the hospital with a doctor or a midwife, that right there greatly reduces your chance of having a C-section. About 30 to 35% of moms in the hospital end up with a C-section, right? We know this. And about, depending on the study, 2 to 10% of women who pursue a planned home birth end up with a C-section. So just by choosing to give birth at home, you are much more likely to result in a vaginal birth. So that in of itself is flipping awesome. (laughs) And don't forget that, right? That's so, so important. Now, all that to say that you absolutely could end up needing a C-section, whether it be emergency or because you end up 
transferring to the hospital, maybe for exhaustion or, you know, needing some pain relief. And then ultimately being under the care of the hospital staff and, you know, kind of succumbing to the cascade of interventions and ending up with a C-section, right? Obviously not every hospital birth ends in a C-section, only about a third of them do. But if you do go to the hospital, you're more at risk for that cascade of interventions and thus C-section. So there's no guarantee that when you're at home, you're not going to have a C-section, end up with a C-section, but your your risk is reduced. And, and that's pretty cool. Now you have zero control, of course, over uh, whether a true emergency happens or not. But you can do some things to prepare so that you're more likely to stay home and not transfer to the hospital for other reasons, for exhaustion or for, you know, because you want pain relief that you can't get at home. Some of those options are available at the hospital that aren't at home, right? And it all starts with your mindset. It all starts with what's happening between your ears. So it's so important to mentally and emotionally prepare yourself for birth all the way up to birth. Okay. And this goes whether or not you're having, you've had a C-section in the past or not. I mean, this applies to everyone listening to this podcast right now. You want to be taking the time to work on your mindset every single day. There's a ton of things you can do. Listening to positive birth stories, positive, inspiring birth stories, that right there, super helpful keeping you in a positive state of mind, right? Listening to the No Fear Home Birth podcast, like you're doing right now, is a great first step. Writing or speaking affirmations or reading affirmations every day can be so incredibly powerful because what we tell the mind over and over again, the mind believes and this, it starts to embed in our subconscious mind, which is the mind that we aren't, you know, consciously thinking about. It's always running in the background. And if we can program that subconscious mind to believe that we're powerful and we are built for birth and we are strong and capable and are going to have this home birth, that gets your head in the right space as well. Journaling can be a really, really helpful way to process your emotions. And even before that, recognize what emotions you're having, what thoughts you're having that you may not necessarily, again, they may, some of your subconscious thoughts may come through onto the paper if you're spending some time journaling. And that's very powerful because once you're aware of these thoughts or these emotions, you're able to process them, work through them, and again, set yourself up to be in a better headspace. Reminding yourself of your why, like why you're doing this, that can be really, really helpful. If you haven't yet, go write down why you're having a home birth, and I want you to take it way deeper than whatever comes out first. So just keep asking yourself why that's important over and over again. So you write an answer. Maybe you say, I want to have a home birth at home because I'm more likely to have a vaginal birth. Okay, why is that important to you? And I want you to write down that. 
and then keep asking yourself why several times, at least five to seven times till you get to the heart of why you really like why it really, really matters to you. And you'll know you've reached that point where you really found your true why when you start to get emotional about it. You might get a little teary, you might get, you know, cry a little bit, or you might just, you can feel that emotional reaction, right? And then once that's written out, you can go back anytime you need to and remind yourself of why it is that you are having, you know, why you are pursuing this birth, why it's so important. And that can re-engage your mind and your body to be ready for this birth, It's also really ridiculously important to protect yourself and your mindset by setting boundaries. So as, as important as it is to like listen to positive birth stories, you don't want to be listening to negativity or negative birth stories or negative opinions about how birth went. You don't want your friends, your family unloading their birth horror stories or things they saw in the news or whatever it is like that. Those things are not going to help you. And so most often what you need to do is set really super strong boundaries. You can offer as much or as little as you want. So you could say, I actually don't want to talk about any birth stories. Let's, let's change the topic. It could be literally as simple as that, or you could offer more. I don't actually want to talk about any birth stories. I'm trying to keep my head in a positive head space as I prepare for birth. And so I'm keeping, keeping it clear and free. So let's, let's steer clear from those birth stories for right now. Thank you. Setting those boundaries are really important. When I had this (laughs) horrible experience, with my parents, um, when I was six weeks pregnant and they said a lot of things that could never be unsaid. And I will never forget, uh, that stuck with me through my pregnancy and till, till today, honestly, that conversation made me very aware that I needed to set boundaries. And I did so immediately. Um, by the end of that conversation, I told them, that I would not talk about my home birth or my plans to have a home birth with them at all, period. And if they could not respect that, that I would not speak to them at all during this pregnancy. And that may sound harsh, but it was what I needed. Absolutely what I needed. Because if my parents were to constantly be telling me that my choice was reckless and dangerous and ridiculous. There is no way that I would have been able to stay in that positive mind space that I know that I knew I needed to stay in and that I know you need to stay in too. So think about what boundaries you do need to set and make sure you're doing that as well. And lastly, I cannot possibly recommend highly enough hiring a home birth confidence coach like me (laughs) to support you during this time, to hold space for you, to celebrate the good, to get you through the bad, to help you prepare for those conversations around boundaries, to help remind you what you can be doing as you prepare for birth, 
to go more in depth specifically into what you want and what you're preparing for and what you hope to experience and continually work on your mental and emotional well-being as you approach birth so that you can walk into your birth completely confident, so fearless, so ready that you can't wait. You're like, bring it on. That is how I want each and every one of you listening to feel as you get into your birth. Like as you get to your birth, you should be so excited. When you look back at this question, what tips do you have for me to achieve a VBAC? That comes from a place of fear. And I get it. <laughs> I was asking those same types of questions. But the, the thought behind the question is, I might not be able to do this. I may not be able to have a VBAC at home for whatever reason. And so how can I ensure that I really am going to have the VBAC at home? You have to address that fear head on, slash it immediately, and just cultivate this incredible confidence. And you're going to experience this life-changing event. Absolutely life-changing. You can send me a DM on TikTok or Instagram at No Fear Home Birth if you're interested in learning what it would look like to work with me. One last thing before we get into our story that I have to mention that's so important is that you choose the best midwife for you. Someone who aligns with your values and what you're looking for. Someone who has definitely done home birth VBACs in the past, has attended them, and who has a, you know, a good success rate with them. And who you feel comfortable with when you ask all the questions. Like, how will you know if I am having a uterine rupture? What would that look like? What does it look like if I need to transfer? All of the questions that you might have, you want to feel really good in your body from head to toe. You want a full body? Yes, this is exactly who I want to be with. In the, now, Mariah, you've already chosen midwives, it sounds like, which is great. And if you feel that way, fabulous. If you're like, I'm not sure. Like, I think they're probably going to be good, but I'm not really quite sure. That's a red flag. Like you should be very confident and you can always change providers if you need to. So I definitely want you to remember that in the show notes, you can grab the guide 60 must ask questions for home birth midwives to help you as a guide to figure out exactly what you should be asking so that you end up with the best midwife for you. Now let's get into Ashley's story. Welcome back, Ashley. Today you're here to tell us your home birth, free birth story. As a quick recap, your first two births basically went exactly the opposite of how you had hoped and you ended up with two unwanted C-sections. So as you are preparing for your third, what's going through your mind, you know, kind of as you're looking back on your births, how they went, everything that you had to do to sort of fight and struggle and, you know, try to find, assert your, your power that you have over yourself. Um, how, how did that inform your decision for what type of birth you were going to have next? And, 
yeah, what did that decision process look like for you? It was a three-year process before I was, I was not having any more children for at least the first year. I'm never having any more children. I'm never going through that again. I'm never going to have a cesarean. I would never choose that. To I found a special scars group. Oh, there's like people having a free birth. I found like the Free Birth Society podcast. I started learning about free birth and are you there? You just cut off there a little bit. Oh, cool. I, um, (laughs) sorry. I started listening to the Free Birth Society podcast and I was part of their Facebook group, um, when they were on Facebook and, um, I started doing birth courses and, and classes and, uh, I started to look into different avenues and I was, I decided once I was okay with my risks and the things for me, that I was going to explore home birth. And so I looked into home birth and I found that my option with a midwife was not going to be available to me locally. Nobody would support me. Um, I did a lot of calling and speaking with midwives before. So I knew before I conceived that that was not an option. So the hardest hurdle for me to explore was free birth because I wasn't brave enough to take that as an option, seriously. But my husband had been listening to some podcasts and he was the one that kind of said to me, well, why not though? Um, why not? You know, you're, you're, you can do it. Your body, you know, was, you know, your body can do it. Your women can birth babies virginally. You know, why not? You know, we live 10 minutes from the hospital, um, you know, and, and so I started to explore that option. That is so cool. I love that your husband was sort of the the catalyst for you to really take it seriously. It is. It's like, because the thing is, you're always seeking like other people's approval. As a people pleaser, when you've been told no, you're looking for evidence of yes. And so you're looking at other people to say, yes, your body can do it because you've had two no's. You've had two examples of where your body couldn't do it. And I had this belief and this hope that, you know, I'm looking at it critically. Like I wasn't given a chance for my first. It was a straight cesarean. My second, I, it did everything perfectly. I can conceive perfectly. It, it makes babies perfectly on its own. Um, my mother's before me all burst, um, and I can only logic, look at it logically, like, why did that happen? And the more information, the more I learned about interventions, the more I learned about birth, the more I realized just what had happened. So there was a huge amount of growing and learning and processing and healing. There was a lot of anger, a lot of hate, a lot of really negative emotions around the hospital system, the people who work in it, what they do. There was a lot of anger towards them and a lot of why me how could you do this a lot of victimhood as well and that's a really powerless position to be in and I didn't make the transition really into stepping into my full power until after my free birth and you know it's what I want to talk about more with my audience because I feel like there's a huge mindset piece and I know you being a mindset coach yourself as well there's a huge mindset piece and um, I feel like that's one of the most important things no matter how my mindset was feeling I still always believed in myself I was always looking for hope or looking for things for why it wasn't my body's fault 
Um, I just always, my body, I never had any health issues before. So I hadn't, you know, it was really hard to believe that just because I'm fat, I can't birth. It was really hard to believe those things. So I went on an exploration for, you know, uncovering the truth. And we went down that road and there was, you know, through pregnancy, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of, you know, it wasn't anything like the other experience I'd had in the hospital. It was a different kind of fear because I had to take the full radical responsibility of this on me. And there was how to, the biggest hurdle was how do I take that responsibility on? If something happens, that's my fault. And that it was like a lot of processing that if something happens in the hospital, you can blame them. But what does that mean? What does blaming someone else mean? It's not going to bring your baby back. It's not going to bring you back to life if you die on their watch. And then I, it took a lot of really understanding that really I was um, – it doesn't matter who I can blame. At the end of the day, I've got to live with the consequences. Just because the hospital did it to me doesn't mean I get any more sympathy from anyone. It doesn't mean I get healed magically or it fixes anything. I started to realize that I have to live my life to alignment for me and not give a rat's about what anyone else thinks. If they want to witch hunt me, if they want to call CPS, if they – want to do these things that I have to be brave enough and big enough to deal with whatever life throws at me because playing the game their way didn't suit me. It wasn't working for me. It was hurting me. So that was my biggest piece that I had to overcome. And I felt that I was really alone in that because I felt like it was my responsibility solely because I was the birther. You know, if it had happened, I didn't feel like my husband would take that responsibility and I had to think what could that do to our marriage what could it do to our kids you know all of those sorts of things and it was a real headset headpiece but I got there and it and it felt like a really long process but it was only like a three-year process overall before I was like okay we'll have another baby and that's a lot of learning I mean I was doing so many things as well as looking after two little kids so now looking back from a space, I'm like, whoa, amazing. Like, whoa. Yes. Incredible. So then tell me about, or tell us about, um, about your, about your free birth, you know, who, how you had had planned that, who was going to be there, um, and, and, and how it went. So by that stage, I was pregnant and I was, before I got before I'd gotten pregnant, I wasn't sure if I was going to have a doula because what I'd learned is undisturbed birth and do you want people in your space and what do I really want them for? And I was really trying to wrap my mind around take, you know, doing this on my own and relying on someone and having someone to look at because I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I'm looking at somebody again and then they intervene in my birth and just destroy it. Basically I was like, maybe I should have nobody because that puts me at risk of, you know, eventually I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But as soon as I fell pregnant, I felt I want somebody. And I wanted them because what I wanted was that nurturing, loving support that is always seen in the birth community about if you have a midwife, she's going to come to your house and you can have this beautiful prenatal care and she's going to sit by your bed and you're going to, she's going to do all those things and she's going to have a beautiful basket and you get a little snack and a cup of tea. That's what I fell in love with. I fell in love with. And as a celebrity personality and a Taurus, 
I love being pampered and treated special. I'm also a highly sensitive person and I love the nourishing emotional support, the mindset stuff, all of that stuff. But I was trying to seek out what I could, I thought if I hire a doula, that's what I'm going to get from that person. Unfortunately, I hired a really fierce doula who was very strong and I, I was drawn to her because she'd had free baths herself, but, and I was drawn to her strength and her confidence and that's what I wanted. Um, to help me with the uh, birth of the placenta and any, I was worried about um, postpartum hemorrhage. I felt I would be confident doing the birth on my own um, and just with my husband, but I felt what I really wanted was that ongoing emotional support and mindset support because I knew I would have wobbles and worries. I'd been through a lot and I thought Mm -hmm. that that was guaranteed hiring a doula. And what I realized was that um, every doula every person that you hire comes with different strengths and weaknesses. And what I didn't realize, I thought that when you pay for something, that's what you get. You get what they advertise as a doula role, but everyone's different. Everyone practices differently. And so then I realized that I needed emotional support because she wasn't the kind of person to check in with you. And she, I just assumed that it would be, you know, you would know that I'm a VBAC, I'm traumatized, that I might need some hand holding, I might need some extra support. And I thought that was kind of normal, but apparently that's not normal for all dollars. Everyone runs differently. And um, then I was like, okay, well, maybe I can get some check-ins with a midwife. Don't really want the medical support. And I found it really hard to get check-ins with midwives because they were worried about their insurance for dealing with a free birther, even though they weren't attending my birth. And I was like, that's really crazy. (laughs) Like, so then I found that if I didn't play the systems game, that I couldn't get the support that I was looking for. Um, I did find a midwife who was willing to support me. It was going to cost me a few thousand dollars and I would have to travel probably 45 minutes on my own with my children up to her and then come back. So that felt really hard and it wasn't the same sort of, I was looking for someone local or someone who could come to my home. Had a lot of interesting conversations with midwives who didn't support free birth or they didn't support free birth for me being a high BMI or having VBACs. So I had a lot of interesting conversations about, you know, trying to talk me into different things when I was just trying to connect with someone for prenatal care. Um, And I felt really lost and lonely in that regard. So one midwife was going to offer me some sort of hypnobirthing coaching once a month, but I found that she was, she didn't turn up for our appointments twice. Um, And, you know, after that I was just like, okay, it's, it was just so, I just felt, I was alone. I felt really alone and lost in that experience. So then I hired a second um, birth doula who was also a photographer and who had been trained by my doula. And I thought, and we spoke about how I felt unsupported and what I wanted. And what I found with she, she was, she had been taught by the same person. So she gave the same sort of support and I felt really alone still. And she was really busy and she was taking on all these clients because she wanted to, um, get her experience up to graduate her doula experience. So while having a student doula can be cool, when you get to a certain level of knowledge and information, you also need somebody who you feel is at the same level or higher. So I found it wasn't really any fault of hers, um, but 
I just felt, again, I was in that victimhood as well. And I don't blame myself because of my experiences. I hadn't had the the midwife experience that I wanted. And that wasn't by my fault. That was because I, it was taken away from me. I couldn't, I felt like I had a lot of choices, but none of them that were right for me. And there was other women that were skinny who were getting, you know, the midwife care. And there was all these photos of them with their midwife. And I had to unfollow all these people on social media, but I was feeling really vulnerable. I was feeling really alone. And I had a lot of doula friends, but they were hospital birth doulas. So I couldn't sit down with them with a cup of tea and say, yeah, I'm really worried that if my baby dies that, like, you know, that's going to be my responsibility. Like, you can't say that to her. They'll be like, "Mm, well, why don't you just birth in a hospital? And Mm -hmm. we still have these conversations. A lot of my friends are hospital. You know, like one of my doula friends said to me, my client wants to have a um, hospital birth because it's safer. And I was like, I was like, Uh, 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 you don't want to get that into me. That is not true because when you work in that environment and they're traumatized, like they're seeing these things, they, they come to me and they go, well, the doctor let her go into spontaneous labor. He's really good. And I'm like, Oh my God, that is really bad. You think that a doctor letting a woman go into spontaneous labor, that's good. And it is in that environment. And what she sees, that is good, but that's not normal in my environment and where I work um, and live. But so you know, I really wanted that emotional and mindset support. I really could have done with that. Um, but I got through it. I coached myself. I sucked, sucked it up and I suffered through it. It wasn't that bad, but I, I had to learn skills, obviously, and I had to um, I had to work myself through a lot of it. You know, every now and then I had a phone call with my daughter and she helped me feel a little bit better as well, so that was nice. And... I basically went into spontaneous labor at 38 weeks, which was a surprise for me because my first couldn't be pried out at 38. My second came at 40 and after a stretch and sweep. So this one was like, oh, I had a stretch and sweep last time. So maybe this will be like 40, 41 because I was, you know, interfered with last time. Um, I was huge. I was uncomfortable. I was, um, this baby was a spirit baby I connected with in conception before birth, before conception. And I called her Starlight and I felt it was, I fell pregnant with her one month before COVID happened here in Australia. So it was in uh, February 2020 before crazy COVID happened. And we decided to have her from a, a coin flip. So my husband wanted to fall pregnant six months later and I was like, no, I want to have the baby now. I want to, you know, and we said, we'll do a coin flip. And so we flipped it and yeah, (laughs) destiny decided and we got pregnant straight away. And I just felt like she was all knowing. She chose her time to come. She knew what she was coming in, you know, because it was COVID times, I was able to get some of those antenatal appointments over the phone. So I was able to get some scans that I wanted to get. And I didn't, and I went to a different doctor that didn't ask any questions. And I just said, I'm having a midwife, but you know, I need to get these through you because you're a doctor, you know, you're the big mm-hmm. Mr. Smart doctor. I need to come to you and, you know, and he would just send them through. It was no problems. So I got the scans that I wanted to get done and everything was fine with baby. I wanted to check where the placenta was. There were a few things, but I was managing it all myself. I had, um, 
I was checking my bloods to make sure my iron and everything was fine. And, uh, you know, I didn't do the GD test. By that point, I decided GD wasn't real from what I'd read and my own experiences of having two healthy babies, um, one with insulin, one with fudging numbers. You know, I was past that point. And, uh, you know, it was really just a lot of fear of if something was going to happen. And it wasn't like, I would, you know, I was worried about actually losing the baby because that would have been a catastrophic loss for us. I was more worried about what the world would think of us. That was my biggest, the witch hunting and all that sort of stuff because I was so radical and doing something so different. And even though it was only a few years ago, no no one was really free birthing then. I feel like everyone's home birthing, everyone's free birthing these days, especially where I live. There's been an explosion since um, COVID of home birthing and free birthing women. So there's so many more services available. And back then there was only a handful of doulas who would actually attend free birth. Now like every doula is like open to it almost. I feel like at least every half 50% or 40% of them, whereas before it was like, no, I would never attend a free birth. Now it's like, yeah, I do free births. It's the same as a hospital birth. I'm like, what? It's so different now because of COVID and so many women have chosen to home birth. Um, you know, second-time mums who have already had an easygoing vaginal birth in the hospital, they're like, I don't want to have my baby in there with all the sick people. <laughs> it's like, so I'm going to home birth. And I'm like, whoa. So then all the midwives are busy now. So there's an explosion of doulas because nobody can get a midwife uh, unless you book in as soon as you fall pregnant. So it's a different environment here, um, that's for sure. So... Yeah, I went into labor. Um, my waters broke at 38 weeks and um, I was really surprised because I never had my waters broke like that, broken. And um, we called my doula fairly – I called out to my husband and there was water going everywhere. It was all over my bed. And we called out to my husband and he started cleaning up and I was walking and it was cleaning and walking and it was stinking. It was so gross. <laughs> um and we called my doula. It was like four o'clock in the morning again. The first one was four o'clock in the morning. Second one, four o'clock in the morning. And she said, okay, we'll just try to relax as much as possible and just go back to sleep, you know, because my contractions hadn't started. Already immediately I was like, I've only got 48 hours to have this baby. I hope my contractions start because in my mind I was only happy with 48 hours. And um, I couldn't go back to sleep. I was really uncomfortable. And the contraction started within 30 minutes anyway, so I was straight into labor. And it was excruciating for the first few hours. I couldn't get comfortable. I thought I'd be comfortable on the toilet. No, totally uncomfortable on the birth, put on the birth, what is it, the birth ball? Nope, on the bed, nope. Standing up, nope. Everything was uncomfortable. I had my music going. I had my birth comb in my hand, and I was just deep breathing in and out, deep breathing. In my mind, all the things were happening. You're crazy. Why don't you go to the hospital? Why don't you have an epidural? Why don't you have a repeat cesarean? This is too hard. You know, negative mindset, making it even worse, no doubt. My kids were so excited. I had two girls that were, how old were they? They were five and they were six, almost six and almost four by that point and so they were really aware they were they were awake and so excited mum's having the baby I'd already prepared everything we'd 
already um, got in the birth pool uh, a week before and done, like, trained for it, you know. I'd read all these home birth books to them, showing them all these videos. They knew what was happening and their energy because I can pick up on people's energy really uh, really well like I can feel people's energy they were so excited and everyone was so my husband was excited he's like recording we've got the video and I watch it back and they were so excited and I was just like get out <laughs> I was, leave me alone I'm suffering <laughs> mm-hmm. and um yeah eventually I just said you know call my sister she's got to pick him up I had three people in place and she was the third person my other people were sick so it's a good thing I had three people in place and she came about six or seven o'clock to pick him up. And in between then, my husband was getting them ready to go with the auntie and getting my birth pool and my um, area ready because we were not prepared. We, we'd already had it blown up and things, but nothing was set out because I still had a couple of weeks in my head. And I finally got into the birth pool. We called my midwife, uh, my doula to come. And when she came down, I think my kids left and it took a couple of hours for me to really settle in and um I just kept saying to her this is this normal is this um you know is this all normal like is everything okay and she's like yes it's fine I just couldn't believe how much pain I was in because the first labor was really easy going until they broke my waters so I really feel like it was the waters breaking at the start and I really feel I'm an early dilator um, I feel like, you know, when people talk about transition, that that I had that transition process at the start of my labor. Um, knowing now what I know about posterior births is um, I've had two posterior births. This one was a posterior. So I believe that I um, open up really quickly, which is the most painful part for me. And then after that, it was all about pushing the baby down and turning and rotating the baby to be birthed vaginally. And so I, after about four hours of being in labor, my body was already pushing, but it was like every two or three contractions it was pushing. So I would get on to all fours and lean over the pool and it was like I was doing a big poo and sometimes poo was coming out. So I just thought it was, I'm doing a poo. Um, but it was now knowing what I know, um, reflecting back, it was pushing my baby down. And so apparently um, my doula said there was big breaks in between um, and I was very calm. I was very peaceful. I just remember feeling like this is so peaceful and this is so calm. I had relaxing music. I was in my warm bath. I had my affirmations up and I was just breathing through the contractions. Um, the pushing contractions felt really um, – nice they felt like I was doing something it felt it felt good um my whole body was being taken over and I had this belief of physiological and instinctive birth so my view is that I'm just going along for the ride you know my body does everything it needs to do just like when you get gastro your body gets taken over you can't stop the cramps or anything like that your body expels what it needs to either through your mouth or your bottom and so that's how I see birth is that experience I'm just going along for the ride I didn't necessarily know what was happening I was just had to believe in the process and my husband um, would say oh look the baby's rotating you can see the baby's moved and it was like really sweet that he was watching and noticing those things and yeah, I was just pretty much in labor, just breathing through. It felt like really 
like looking back at the photos, they look, I look like I was in a lot of pain, but in that, from my memory, I felt like it was just really chill. There were times in between because I had long gaps in between that I didn't even know about um, that I was joking, like having conversations, joking. My leg went numb and I was like, oh, somebody chop off my leg. Like it's numb. And I, I thought it was because I was sitting on it wrong, but it was actually the baby um, on the the nerve. And, um, yeah, eventually I felt like this big, biggest poo, like a size of a head coming down. I was like bearing down and – I just thought I had to do the biggest poo. And, of course, that was the baby coming right down into my canal. And eventually I felt like there was something inside. I said to my husband, can you put your fingers in? And he's like, okay. And he's like, feels like a a kiwi fruit. Uh, Do you have kiwi fruits in America? Yes. Yeah, so like furry on top and like soft-ish. I was like, okay, um... He said, but it could be muscle. And I was like, oh, so maybe I've had a prolapse. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Whatever, I just, you know, let it go. But obviously, if you say it's a kiwi fruit, that's a baby's head. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. duh, like, you know, soft tissue with a bit of fluffy hair. Of course, right? What were we thinking? <laughs> Inexperience. But now I look back and think, oh, God. The things that you talk about and the things that you say. And, um, Eventually I could feel that she was right there and I and my doulas had given my husband and I some private space and they'd gone outside and I really appreciated that and I really felt like that helped my labour as well. And as soon as they heard that, they came rushing in and it was all exciting and, you know, getting cameras ready and things like that. And and then eventually the baby started to come in and out and in and out and I knew that was normal. I just allowed it to go as it needed to go and eventually I um, – you know, her head came out and her shoulders came out. My husband was in the birth pool with me and it was very painful when the head was coming through. It Like people talk about the ring of fire, but I felt like it was like ripping of paper. Um, I don't know what's worse, but yeah, I, I was like, I'm definitely getting torn. Like in my head, I'm like getting ripped apart. Um, but it's only for like a minute or two. It's like, the shortest part of the whole labor I'd go through that any day to you know it's nothing when you look at the whole thing like in that moment yep but then it's over and then that's it mm-hmm. um and then my midwife uh, my doula said to me I uh, said to my husband don't touch the baby don't touch the baby um and we were like what she never said anything to us through pregnancy I'd never seen this before as far as I knew as soon as the head and the shoulders came out the baby basically comes out and I was thinking oh in breech births I know you're not supposed to touch babies because they can take a breath and this is me in my mind while I'm and then I've got adrenaline coursing through my body and then I realized there's no contractions anymore and because I am really empathetic or empathic towards other people's energies and I pick up on other people so much um I my contractions completely stopped and my birth was undisturbed at that point and then it was, okay, what do we do? I'm looking at the doula, what do we do? And I'm looking at my husband, what do we do? And I'm like, can someone pull the baby out? And my doula's like, I'm not touching. And then my, I said to my husband, can you pull the baby out? And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to like hurt the baby. And I'm like, okay. Um, so now I feel like we're in an emergency situation here. Nobody's going to do anything. Uh, my contractions have stopped. So I'm going to push like I'm in a purple push. So I purple pushed till I almost blacked out. I could, was pushing so hard. And then eventually she just came out 
And my husband grabbed her and put me, put her on my chest and I got to put my hands down and feel because um, we were having a gender surprise. And I said, oh, it's a girl. I knew it was another girl. And, yeah, before I could really take in that moment um, of connecting with her and just appreciating what had happened and everything that I'd gone through, my doula basically said, oh, I think there's something wrong with her breathing. And I'd hired her to be that part of my support. I'd handed my power over to her for that. And whereas before I said, before we had the birth, I said, I don't want to be disturbed. I don't want anyone to prompt me. I don't want anyone to tell me to get into positions. I'd given those instructions. So the odd time that the the student doula had said, why don't you go to the birth pool, uh, to the toilet? I just rolled my eyes in confidence. Like I'm not doing anything you want me to do because I'm doing what I, I was in power. This point I'd handed that power over. And so I was in disempower and I was listening to other people and uh, she suggested that we call an ambulance and because the breathing was a little bit um, fast and so before we even had a chance to meet her I said yes sure straight away you know I was already in that mode and you know then it was a couple minutes before he came and then she suggested we cut the cord so we can pick the baby up and hand it rather than him doing it on me Um, and you know, I just went along with that narrative. And as soon as we cut her cord and picked her up, she just belted out screaming and, you know, cleared all the gunk off her chest. And she was pretty like, as soon as the ambulance got there and checked her, he said, she's fine. Um, she's doing fine. And then it was all about me because I had no contractions. I had, you know, nothing to close back up or my goodness or my beautiful birth, um, hormones and everything were gone. I was in an emergency situation there looking at my daughter to make sure she's okay. And then any any time of me being able to get back into the gooey stage or have my baby with me, my doula then says, how's the placenta? You've got a lot of blood in the pool. You better get out of the pool. So then it was, again, we're back on the emergency. Ashley's got to get out of the pool. Ashley can barely move. <laughs> Uh, we've got to call another ambulance to look at Ashley. And then it was just a cascade of we're going to call another ambulance. We're going to call another ambulance. There was four ambulances by the time they were done to get, because I'd lost so much blood by the time all these ambulances came, it was like two, two and a half hours that we had to wait for blood because I'd lost so much that that was their policy. And, by the time I got to the hospital, I was just so almost out of it. I had lost so much blood. Um, they had to, like, keep me awake, you know, trying to keep me awake. And I was like, I just want to go to sleep. I'd just been through labor and all this sort of stuff. And so my birth had been so disturbed by that point. There was no chance of it coming back. And I had also been given things. I'd been given um, Sintosin or whatever it is to help the placenta, but there was no massaging of the, um, the belly or anything like pulpating or anything. And then um, when I got to the hospital, they tried to do a manual removal drug-free with their hands going up. And after about three attempts, I screamed out, I do not consent. I want you to put me under. I'm not going through this because I'd already had that lived experience. <laughs> They're like, you could have a hysterectomy, you could have this. I was, yep, sign that, put me under, I'm going under. And I came out and I was in the ICU because my blood um, pressure dropped a lot. But I graduated after an hour or so, um, or 12 hours, I think is the minimum they keep you in. 
I graduated from there. Then I went again with the care with the midwife, graduated from there and went to maternity. But my husband came in with the baby as well and they rushed over to him. And policy is with um, people who come in with babies, they want to take the babies to special care unit when you have a home birth or a free birth especially because they assume you have had no prenatal care and they're looking at the baby pathologically. So they could see that she had a little bit of un, uh, a little bit of um, trouble breathing. So they put her on CPAP, um, at, all with my husband's permission and consent, and they gave her um, antibiotics just in case she had an infection. If it was, if I could go back again, I would have made a lot of different choices. That was a different experience for us, um, having a baby in special care, um, and that led to her also having jaundice, borderline jaundice that we consented to getting treated, which led to her being in special care on and off for five days. That was very traumatizing, being away from my child and having to navigate that side of things. Also, having lost so much blood myself, they estimated about three liters. I had to get to my baby and breastfeed her every three hours, and I had to. It was just a very challenging. Again, not a great experience, but I had my and, – and also I'm a crazy free birther in the hospital and there's Chinese whispers going on and everyone knows my story. And some of the midwives, majority of them were really supportive, but you had a couple like one ran over to my husband at one point and said, um, don't you ever do that again. You hear me? You Don't you ever do that again. As if she had a right to tell us what we should and shouldn't do, as if she knew my story. And she made a few little – comments along the way but most of them were pretty supportive and it just felt really awkward being like a crazy celebrity in the hospital like some of the staff would grab me when I was walking the halls and say I heard your story darling you know I'm just so glad everything worked out for you and I'm like who are you (laughs) it was it was surreal but also it was very healing for me because the obstetricians were um, very respectful and they understood that they that the system had had a huge part in why I'd chosen to birth the way that I did and they wanted to make sure that I would feel safe utilising them and bringing my children in if I ever needed the support. And that's all I ever wanted. I only wanted to be respected, heard and seen and have my choices respected. And if they'd done that from the start, I probably never would have had that experience. So I thank them for that experience, although it was challenging for me. And although I've been through a plethora of experiences, I now get to use my wisdom and knowledge to help other people, but also help myself from breaking free of being a people pleaser. I now homeschool my children, which is something I always wanted to do, but I don't care about what other people think of me now so much. I'm still a people pleaser, but I'm working through all those things and connecting in more with my intuition. And it's been a real blessing. That is, that's wonderful. I love your take on, on all of it. And I'm glad to hear a little bit of redemption from the hospital too in that they wanted to make sure, like you said, that you were respected and seen, heard, validated. So that is how it should have been from the beginning. Exactly. And, you know, because I have a podcast too and I hear these women's stories, a lot of them do. VBAC home births have a higher transfer rate into hospital. So it is good to know that 
to be prepared. Um, but, you know, it can go one of two ways. You know, I was always worried if I have to go in there, I'm going to get traumatised and treat treated like crap. So it was so nice that they took me as a priority and they, re- and they went above and beyond. So I was really worried when my baby was in special care. Once a mother gets taken out of maternity, then you have to go home and then you have to come back in the hospital to special care to look after your child and breast- if you're breastfeeding. How can you breastfeed? How can you have a breastfeeding relationship if you're not at the hospital? And yet they have no comfortable accommodation for mums. So I was really stressed but on the last day, they didn't tell me before, but they told me on the last day, you can stay as long as you want. We're more than happy to give you a bed. And like, as long as your baby's in the, in the, um, in the nursery, you're allowed to stay here. And th- cause I'd already spoken with special care, like they had two rooms that were full. And so eventually, you know, the maternity side told me, and I just thought that was really nice. And and so they really did, like in their way, go above and beyond for me, I felt. And that really was a full circle of healing for me. But also, I don't see them the way that I did, a scary, mean monsters. I understand, I've learned that I understand why they do things. I don't feel that it's right. I don't feel that it's right for women and babies. But I understand it. Um, I understand it. And that's why I advocate so much for home birth, because while home birth's not uh, is not perfect, you know. Um, there are so many benefits of home birth and, you know, you're not going to not be traumatised by having a home birth you, or by having a physiological undisturbed birth. You're not going to get amazing care if you have a midwife all the time. There's going to be great midwives out there. There's going to be some really shanty ones. Um, but it's a better sort of, in my opinion, a better alternative for a lot of women who want to have a certain sort of birth. Absolutely. I completely agree. So tell me a little bit, if you will, about as you were preparing for your free birth and home birth. So we're going back just a little bit because this is a, this is a specific um, piece that I work with my clients on, which is they have this desire to go to birth at home. But they're also, they have so many different fears and doubts and what ifs and questions coming from themselves and from other people, which you, you talked about having as well. How did you navigate, how did you get through those fears and doubts and what ifs to be able to ultimately birth your baby at home? I have... I have a really strong tendency in me to be a people pleaser and uh, and as a highly sensitive person, I'm very vulnerable to other people's thoughts and opinions of me. So I have that very strong dominant part in my personality, which makes me very susceptible and vulnerable to outside thoughts and feelings. And also I can feel their emotional. So even if they don't say anything, I can feel when I'm trying to get support from someone, I can, them, you know, even if they go, uh-huh, because they know that, they want to be supportive, but I can still feel that they're not. Um, but there's another part of me, another side of me, and this is the thing that I love about this experience is that I've learned so much about myself. Another part of me that I realized that has always been there, but I didn't realize how powerful and strong I was. I, I feel like in motherhood, I became the person that I was meant to be, but I feel like I lost a part of myself through that 
um, process through losing my power and all that. And so a part of me has always been the kind of person that will do what I feel is right. I don't necessarily follow anyone else's rules or laws. I follow what I feel in my heart is the right thing. Just because there's a law that says that it's okay to treat people a certain way, you know, like in the olden days, I'll say the olden days, but people used to be put in jail because they were gay or they used to have their brains fried because they were gay or they used to be put through traumatic programs because they were gay and that's the wrong thing. Fast forward to today, gay people in around the world are allowed to get married just because a law says something to be true doesn't mean it's true for my heart or for what I believe in. And my one of my values in life is injustice and fairness. And so I always try to calculate things on what I feel is fair or right. And I think that that really pulled me through. If you're thinking about it in that way, I think it was like I looked at the thing, I looked at it logically I looked at um, my risks. I weighed up my my risks, and I learned about instinctive and undisturbed birth. I understood that that was a safer option for me. I knew that I was going to be put in danger if I went into hospital because I knew how they view me. I know how they look at me. I know how they categorize me. They put me in a box. I'm not coming through as a low-risk woman that, you know, they look at and go, you're not really risky to us to lose our job. They're looking at me like a catastrophic danger. They could lose their job, be sued. Potentially all these things can happen. So I knew that this was a safer option for me. It was the constant logical conversations that I was having in my head that I couldn't get past the logic of it, you know, when you're looking at it a logical way. And I was seeing a counsellor at the time and I said to him, and this was for weight loss, like completely different thing, but I said to him, how do I know the difference between a fear response like, how do I know that I'm not just choosing that because I'm so traumatized and I'm so fearful of that experience happening again? And he said, because you're looking at this in a logical way, because you're, you know, you're making a fair and reasonable assumption. And I was like, okay, that's true. And even in the hospital, um, because I went into ICU, they their standard procedure is to send a counsellor to you because that can be traumatic for people which was lovely, like it's nice that they offer these extra things now. When I was at that hospital, they didn't have some of those things before. And I said to her, like, everyone here thinks, probably thinks I'm crazy, like, because I'm a crazy free birther. Like I'd already, I, the, I'd use that, that language on myself. And she said, no, she said exactly the same thing as my counselor had said. And so she reiterated, you made an educated choice that was right for you what you made was something that was logical and rational. And, you know, I was like, yes. So that really helped me to see because there is is a fine line of working through trauma. Are you making a trauma-based decision, a fear-based decision? And so I was, I've always been very critical thinking in trying to um, look at it. And I work with a lot of women who have fear themselves. And it's like, ultimately you have to take the responsibility for yourself if you are fearful of having a, a uterine rupture, having a hospital birth doesn't mean you're not going to have a uterine rupture. Having a hospital birth doesn't mean they're going to pick up a uterine rupture. From my experience of interviewing women who have had these experiences, it doesn't mean you're going to have a better birth or a safer birth. So when you look at it 
objectively in a whole sort of way, and which is what I was doing, collating the information. That's how it came for me. Some people just need to know the stats. Like when I work with women, everyone's so different. Some people just need to know, okay, it's one in 100,000 people will die um, from a uterine rupture, you know, and they'll go, oh, that's nothing. You know, I'm happy with that. And that's the only piece of the puzzle they need. <laughs> I'm more complex <laughs> because I've got all these interesting little storylines going on. I have to, I have to live in perfection. So, um, when I work with women, it's interesting because some of them only have to do one or two little things. Whereas I had to seem to do a thousand little things to get through. Um, but that's how I process. And it's because I am perfectionist and because I'm very hard on myself. So I went the long way and I did the hard yards, but I learned a lot of skills. <laughs> I can relate to you so much on that. Like everything you just said, <laughs> that's pretty much exactly kind of my process my convoluted yeah process probably why we're drawn together (laughs) probably probably two little peas in a pod (laughs) exactly exactly oh goodness well is there anything you would like to like any final words you would like to convey to the audience here you're going to be having people who are wanting to be intentional with the way that they birth that's your audience isn't it Mm -hmm. yes yeah well, I think that they could probably gain a lot from my story in general, but I just think there's so many pieces to the puzzle um, that just take whatever's relevant to you and, you know, working in a way. But I just always follow your intuition and do what you want. Don't allow your mother-in-law's judgments or your friend's judgments to hold you back from something that could be amazing. And I'm not saying it will be amazing because, again, we don't know what life throws at us birth is unpredictable but the sooner we can step into our own responsibility and be in power rather than this is what I've learned myself being in victimhood you know I didn't have a choice to have a midwife so I chose to oh boo-hoo me I can't have my midwife you know I can't have that and you know it is sad why shouldn't I have had the same support right but now I look at it as the blessings that I got from that, I got to have a free bath. I got, I still got to have some of the, some of the things that I wanted to have. So looking at it from a positive point of view of what can you have? Okay. You might not get to have everything, but focusing on your blessings and, you know, having that gratitude and working from a point of power. If you don't have support, create support, hire someone like I did. If you don't have the money, find the money, sell something, do whatever you have to do to make your dreams come true. And that's the only message that people really need to know. If you follow your path, you follow your knowing, you will always end up in the right spot. So well said. Exactly. So where's the best place for people to connect with you? Find me on Insta because that's my hangout. So Ashley L. Winning. Um, I have a podcast called the VBAC Home Birth Stories Podcast. If you're having a VBAC Home Birth or you're exploring, I have mixed content of assisted and free births. Um, you know, we like to keep it real on the channel and, you know, I'll talk about all sorts of different things. And do send me a DM if you want to chat more or you want to reach out and connect. I'm always friendly and open for a chat. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on and sharing your stories. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for holding the space and, and having me as your guest. That's our show. And I want to thank you for listening. If you found this podcast helpful, I'd be so grateful if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you're looking for help on how to interview midwives, I invite you to grab my free guide, 60 Must-Ask Questions for Home Birth Midwives. Just check out the show notes to get it. Thank you to everyone that helps make this show happen. The theme song was written and recorded by Jody Good. I'm your host and producer, Megan R. Cooper. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay fearless.